Hello, and welcome to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. In this weekly podcast, you'll be inspired and equipped with the power of God's Word to live an overcoming life. In this week's teaching, Pastor Dave is going to explore the dangers of pushing God aside in order to control life's circumstances. And now, for this week's message. I want to give you a little taste for this coming week. You'll want to be part of it this coming week if you're not in a life group. We're going to talk about our right to be offended. We live in a world where we kind of think it's our right to be offended. Have you ever been in downtown Vancouver, you know, like on Georgia Street here where the traffic gets really backed up and you're just wondering, okay, and you're driving your car and you're thinking, oh, can I make it through the intersection or can't I make it through the intersection? And you're kind of debating and you say, oh, you know, I think the traffic's going to move. I'll chance it. I'm going to, there'll be enough. And then you get halfway through the intersection and the traffic doesn't move and you're stuck in the intersection. It happened to anybody? And then what? People walk by you. It's like they're, they're shaking their fists at you. I was on one on Burrard Street the other day, and there was somebody, this poor lady, she's stuck in the intersection, and she just got caught there, and uh, the bus is just honking the horn, like, for a minute solid. She's like, what do I do? I didn't mean to. He just felt like, and it was like, people were, I said, they, were, they were offended that she got stuck in the intersection. Traffic has a way of doing that, and we kind of feel our right to be offended. Well, Greg Rochelle, he had that same issue a little different way, but he struggled with it as well, so here's a clip, a little teaser from this upcoming week's lesson in Life Group. So watch this, then we'll proceed with the message. I'm driving, and I would be offended perhaps at your driving as you might be offended by mine. And one of the places I could get most riled up is when, uh, where I live, there's a lot of traffic on um, some of the, the side streets, and there will often be people stuck trying to get into the flow of traffic from a parking lot and they just can't do it. And I've often been that guy who sits there and waits for what seems like hours as all of you drive right on by and won't let me in. So because I'm such an incredible, godly, generous, and benevolent follower of Christ, I will often pause and let people into the flow of traffic. And if I ever let you in, I very simply expect two things and two things only. One, I expect you to move quickly. Okay, get your butt in there. Because there's nothing worse than me letting you in and then you getting through the green light and I get stuck at the red light. That's just not right. The second thing I just expect is a very simple and humble acknowledgement of the favor that I did to you. Just tilt your head down slightly, raise your hand up, and just say, thanks a bunch, you're awesome, you're the man, you rock, you rule. I could still be there until Tuesday, but you let me in. Just give me a very simple thank you wave. What drives me crazy, though, is how often I'll stop, let someone in, and they just drive right on in, and no nod, no wave, whatsoever. <laughs> Makes me crazy. I'm like, couldn't you just at least say thank you? Look in the rearview mirror, ha, ah, thank you, you saved the day. But no, and so I get so upset, like I'll take your license plate down, I'll look for you, I won't let you in ever again because I'm so easily offended. Any of you ever relate to that? Any of you can kind of relate? Yeah, few of you can, rest of you holy people, just sit there and polish your halo. I'm talking to the real people here today. All right, we're talking to the real people this morning, okay? So we're going to talk about uh, that in our life group this week. You're going to love that message. It's so encouraging and at the same time challenging. 
And then today, we're going to go back, review what we went through last week in our life groups, talk some more about that. And last week, we talked about our need, our right to be in control. In that lesson, he asked three questions, really, that we ask of ourselves, so I'm going to review that. One of the questions we need to ask when it comes to controlling things, is it worth my concern? That's the first question. In the light of eternity, will it really make a difference? Now, he tells a story in that lesson about he had this pristine yard, nice grass, his boys play soccer, and they wear out the grass. And God really dealt with him to embrace the dead spot because the boys are going to grow up, and one day he won't have the boys around. So just it's, don't be so controlling over and freaking over your yard. Just enjoy the moment. And so that was the first question. Is it really worth my concern? And uh, as I was getting ready for a life group on Tuesday, we have ours on Tuesday night, had a long day, got up early, was working till about just after six. Our life group starts at seven. So when I came home, our house had been really busy and lived in. And I was kind of expecting just to come home and uh, sit down, relax, go through my notes, set up the TV. But I came home and uh, I was, okay, I'm going to have to vacuum again. I'm going to have to get some things cleaned up again. And uh, my wife comes in. She had also been working longer, and she took one look at me, and after being married 35 years, you don't have to say anything. She just reads me, and uh, she just looks at me, and she says, Dave, embrace the dead spot, and that was it, <laughs> and so I knew the best. I said, you're right. I'm, I'm so happy. I'm glad we have family. I'm glad our house is busy and well used, and so yes, we're just going to get ready for life group. It was all good, but it wasn't worth me freaking out and being controlling over. So that's the first question, and it apply in many areas of our life. Jesus had said to Martha, 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 you're worried about so many things. Come sit. This is the main thing. Don't be so controlling over your kitchen. And he had other stories about that. So that's the first question to ask yourself, is it worth my concern? The second question that he posed, is it mine to control? There's some things that we just need to be, take responsibility and do something about. If our finances are in trouble, we need to do something about it. Uh, get busy and make some changes. If our, if our marriage is challenged, our relationship is challenged, then we need to do something about it. Be responsible. Actually, there's a difference between being responsible and being controlling. And so we need to take responsibility and do something about it. He gave the example of somebody that hasn't had a date in seven years. And you say, hey, God, if you're in control, how come I don't have a date? And God will say, well, do something about it. Take responsibility. Harvey and Sue Thompson, they have often taught a dating course for us here at the church. And one of the first things they'll teach if you want to have a date is get a life. And uh, that works really good because people are interested when you do interesting things. But if your life consists of watching TV and playing your game box, then, as he said in the message, sell the Xbox, sell the game. Sell your TV if you have to, but get a life and you'll find that people are interested in people that do interesting things. And so he talked about taking responsibility there. So the first question, again, is, is it worth my concern? The second one, is it mine to control? I'm reviewing. And then the third one is, is it for God alone? And that's where we want to focus today. Is it for God alone? A lot of things that we try to control in our life, God needs to have control of our lives. As a Christian, when we surrender and we give our life to the Lord, we're saying He is Lord over our lives. That means I'm no longer Lord over my life. Somebody else doesn't live a controlling 
doesn't control my life. Jesus is Lord over my life. As we've raised three daughters and, uh, and a son, when they have, especially for our girls, when somebody comes and says, hey, I'd like to date this person or they're interested in them, one of the things that we look at and coach them on is this person controlling. There's certain yellow flags that come up in a relationship that you need to be aware of. For example, if they pull you away from your walk with God and they pull you away from your family, that's a warning. This is a controlling person. If they are moody, that's a sign of a controlling person. If they have outbursts of anger, sign of this controlling person. If they uh, want you to change your personality or they try to buy things for you and then remind you, hey, I did this for you and I got to do this for me. So when those things come up, we're want to be aware of it. Who's Lord of our life? God's Lord of our lives. And so we, we share about that. The number one person in our life is the Lord. And, you know, if you give God control over your life, he knows what's ahead of you. He's a very good Lord. He's a very good father. He cares about us. And when we surrender him, we say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. And I recognize there's things that I need to lay down and you are in control of. And I'll trust you with that. We get into trouble is when we take control back or when we want or let somebody else control our lives. So the whole idea today says, no, God, I will let you be Lord over my life. I will give you control over my life. Now, that means how do we do that? Well, we pray. We communicate with the Lord about it. We talk about him about the big things and about the little things. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 is a great verse to review about this. If you have that in your notes you can, or in your Bible, you can bring it up. We'll put it up on the screen as well. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for how much? Nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, this is big or small. Let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. So God's interested in the big details and in the small details. And you, you bring it to him. Say, God, I'll let you be in control of it. Sometimes it's tough to let God have control over it. It's not mine to control, but it is mine to pray about it. I can't control my wife, but I can pray for her. I'm not here to control my children, but I'm here to pray for them. Matt was uh, growing up, our son, we, we played basketball together, and uh, then he got into school. He got on the basketball team. I volunteered to be the basketball coach. They didn't have anybody at the lower grades. Oh, we're glad to have you as a basketball coach. Come on. We need you. So I came on and coached him, and then he went into the next level. I said, hey, could I coach that? They said, well, you did a pretty good job. You can come be the coach there. So I was so excited. And we had a great team, and I love basketball. Matt and I played basketball together, and then he got into high school, and uh, he got on the high school team, and, and he was doing really good, and I poured so much into this, and so I said, hey, can I be one of the high school coaches? They go, uh, we have a coach already. I said, well, can I be the assistant coach? They go, no, we have an assistant coach already. I said, well, they said, what, what's my role? And they said, well, you can be a fan. You can you just come and cheer. I go, no, no. I coached him all the years. And I was trying to take control of the situation. I was trying to be controlling. And all I could do was stand and pray. And so that was my role. I had to bring it to the Lord. I said, God, obviously, I'm just going to give this to you and trust you with it that you're going to take care of it. So as this verse says that we anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then the peace of God, which passes our understanding, will guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Peace is amazing. 
When you have peace, you can sleep. When you have peace, you can be at rest. That's really important in life that you can just... But when we care, when we try to control everything, we don't have peace. That's what wakes you up in the middle of the night because you're trying to control it. But if you let God have control of it, you can actually sleep really good at night. Psalm 127 says, It's vain for you to rise up early, to stay up late, eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. Many times I've had to wake up early in the morning. Four o'clock seems to be the hour for whatever reason. I'll wake up, and all of a sudden all these thoughts come at me. I think, what about this, and what about that? And I start working in my bed. I don't know if anybody else has done that, but at four o'clock in the morning, I'm working. Okay, I'll do this. Wait a minute, Coop, what are you doing? Give this to God. Because he's not sleeping. He cares for you. Cast all your cares upon the Lord, 1 Peter 5, 7, and he'll care for you. So guess what? I've come to the conclusion that at 4 o'clock in the morning, I am not caring. I'm going to give to God. He cares for me. God, you can care for me. Here it is. I'll give it to you again. By faith, I'm closing my eyes. I'm going to sleep, and I'm having a good night's rest. Body, shut up. You're going to sleep. Mind, shut up. You're going to sleep. I do it by faith because I believe he cares for me letting him have control of those things. We have made some mistakes in our life, big bloopers, where we try to take control. Now, from my own personal experience, when I try to take control of things that God's supposed to have control over, it usually ends up a mess. And uh, I've learned and still learning a work in progress to pray about everything, like that verse says. So it was, I was in school in Calgary studying there, and uh, I, you know what it was like as a student, you got to get extra money to get through school, and so I knew something about cars, so I thought I would buy a car, flip it over the summer, and I like 67 to 69 Camaros and Fibers, they're my favorite cars, and so I knew something about them, so I'd buy it and sell it. I looked in the paper, and I saw this 69 Camaro for sale, and so I said to Cheryl, hey... Let's go buy it. Good price. I think it was $2,000, if my memory serves me correctly. I knew I could make at least a grand on it at that time. It was 1980-something, early 80s. I said, I'll buy it. And uh, so we went out to take a look at this car. And, it, guys, it was hugger orange. I, I found a picture of not this one, the one I bought, but one similar to it. This is what it looked like, just like that. It's kind of a plain, simple-looking car, but... I like hugger orange, I like shaker hoods, I like rear spoilers, and uh, I got in, looked a little bit different, had a different seatbelt, whatnot, but that's what it was, it's a 1969 Camaro. So, I bought this car, and I go to sell the car, and nobody, nobody, no bites, and I put in the paper, I did everything I could to sell the car, nobody's interested. And so finally, at the end of the summer, I went to a consignment lot, and on, down there on, uh, I think on Barlow Trail in Calgary, and I put it on this consignment lot. And I just said, sell it. Get what you can for it. So they put it on the lot, and by the grace of God, I got out what I paid for it. Made nothing on it. Sold the car. I was so glad to get rid of that car. Cheryl didn't want to drive it. She said, if you drive that car, it's like driving on ice. The tires just keep spinning. Every time I drive it, the tires spin. I kind of like that, but she thought she didn't like that. And uh, it was a gas guzzler. Go from one end of Calgary to the other end, you'd burn half a tank. And so we're so glad to get rid of it, find money a different way. Ten years later, we're now living in Regina. I get a phone call. Somebody phones me up and says, hey, did you own a 1969 Camaro? 
And he tells me all about it. I go, hmm, I'm not sure if I want to answer yes or no. I go, yeah, I did. Why? He says, you have no idea what you had, do you? I said, well, I was a 1969 Camaro. I knew a little bit about cars. He says, it's a little bit different kind of plane, plane car. He says, no. Sir, you had a 1969 Camaro Copo, certified office production order, only if you went to Canada. It's worth thousands of dollars. I want information about it. If you Google that car today, it'll be about $300,000. It's a rare car. I had no idea. People have called me afterwards, still trying to find it because it got sold. And when I told them that I put it on a consignment lot and what I sold, they just laughed. They, you are. I said, he said, didn't it have a bigger seatbelt? I go, yeah, it did. He said, it was, it, was, it was a very fast car, which was nice. But anyhow, I sold it. You know what the problem was? The point of the story was we went, bought the car. We never prayed. We went there, bought it. Didn't even have money. I had to borrow money from my brother to buy it. It was, a, it was a bunch of mistakes. And we thought we didn't need God. Just do it on our own. We didn't include him. And as a result of it, by his grace, we got out of it. But it was not what it could have been. What would have happened if I would have prayed? I might have been able to park it on Georgia Street today. Who knows? <laughs> but anyhow... We didn't. We didn't pray. We didn't consult God. In your Bibles, go to me to Luke chapter 12, and uh, there's an interesting story there that Jesus tells about a very wealthy man, and what he does is he, he's got a big crop, and uh, he, he says within himself, what shall I do? I have no room for, to store my crops. So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns, build greater and, and build bigger barns, and then I'll store all my crops and my goods. So basically, he wants to control the market, supply and demand. I've got big crops. I'm not going to dump my grain on the market, lower the price. I'll put it in bins. When everybody runs out, I'll sell it and I'll make more money. Sounds like a good business plan, but God had a problem with it because he was putting money and things before God. And I'll say to myself, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will, you, will those things be which you have provided? So it is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It looked like a good business thing, but he didn't consult God. He was doing his own thing and he wasn't rich toward God. So important to be rich toward God. Consult God on all your business dealings. Put him first in all your decisions. And don't jump ahead of his promises. And try to be God and control the situation for God. Let me give you another verse up on the screen. James chapter 4, verses 13 and 16. Here James tells us, Look here, you who say, Today or tomorrow we're going to do a certain town and we'll stay there for a year. Look here. You who say this. Now, when you first look at that statement, it looks like, well, what's wrong with that? Today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town. We'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. The problem with that is God isn't consulted in the process. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life's like a morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. What you ought to say is... Now bring the Lord into it. If the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting from your own plans, and all such boasting is evil. 
It is evil to say, I am in control, I'm going to this town, I'm going to Vancouver, I'm going to live there, I'm going to make some money, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, I'm in control. God says, that's evil. Rather, let me be in control of your life. He says, you don't know what tomorrow holds. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow. Life's a fog, it's here, it lifts, it's gone. We had an amazing memorial yesterday here. Frank Bauman had tragically, his life finished what seemed like early. He had survived two helicopter crashes. He had climbed Mount Logan, other mountains. He's a very adventurous man. Ski patrol, so many other things that he's done at Whistler and around the world he, he went. Then tragically, his car went off the road and he died. And we had this memorial yesterday. You would have never thought that his life would have come to an end then. He had all kinds of plans for his children and for, and for their, what was to come in their lives. And then all of a sudden, it was gone. You would have never, I would have never thought that we'd be doing Frank's memorial service yesterday. You and I are not promised tomorrow. Today, you're living in the dash. You know your birthday, right? You don't know the other day. I don't know my other day. You don't know your other day. On the gravestone, they have your birthday and the day you pass away. And right now, you're living in the dash. Very important. In all those times, that God, I will include you in all my plans. Because he knows your tomorrow. I don't want somebody to come away and say, that's a nice message. I want people to come away today and say, this provoked me to do something. Provokes me to bring everything to God and get his input on it. Well, I don't know if I want to bother God. It's such a little request. Is he really interested in this or that? Listen, God's got big bandwidth. He can handle all our requests and then some. He's not finite. He's infinite. He can handle all of that. He's interested in the things of our life. He, talk to him and just share with him and commune with him and bring it to him. Be anxious for nothing. Everything. Bring it to him. In a relationship, get his input, guidance. If you're going for coffee, you're meeting somebody at Starbucks, as you're walking down the street, you just say, Lord, I'm meeting Joe for coffee today. I pray you bless that. I pray, God, that you be in the conversation. I pray you direct it. Help me to listen more than I speak. And you just simply pray about that conversation. You get up in the morning, you're getting on the sky train, you're going to work, say, God, I pray over my day today. And you just live with him. Bring everything to him. What does that say? It says, God, you're in control of my life. And you'll start to find out, wow, it's so unusual I sat by that person. So unusual this happened. You'll find God weaving his way through your life, and it's so much better than trying to do it on your own when we let him have control over our lives. When we try to get ahead of God, that's really when we get in trouble. And this is what happened to Sarah. Sarah and Abram had a promise that they were going to have a child. And... Sarah is getting on in years. And so Sarah says, you know what? When God made this promise that it would be to you and your descendants, now I'm thinking, I don't know for sure, but maybe what she said was, Abraham, maybe that was your descendants and not me. Maybe God has just met you and not me, so maybe I need to help God out a bit here. And their day was culturally acceptable to have more than one wife. And, uh, and so she said, you know, I have a maidservant. Why don't you marry Hagar, and then you can have a child with Hagar. And then we kind of help God out because, you know what, I'm like 60-some years old here. I think she, that time she was 65, and, and uh, it's not going to happen. And so let's just kind of help God out here, and we'll get this thing done. Well, that happens, but it turns out to be a mess. She was impatient. And so she was going to help God out with 
keeping his promises. How many, how many noted this morning that God doesn't need any help keeping his promises? It's us that needs to work. Because we tend to think, God, you know what? I, I prayed for that like yesterday. And it hasn't happened yet. So I'm giving you till tomorrow noon. If it doesn't come through, I'm just going to do it myself. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know, God, when we make him Lord of our life, we let him have the steering wheel, so to speak. He's not the spare tire, as Corey Den Boone said. For some Christians, he's a spare tire. I'll pull you out when I need you. Other than that, God, you can just stay in the trunk. No, God's got the steering wheel, not the spare wheel. He's the steering wheel of our life when we make him Lord. And there will be times when we will wait, and we will wait. And Sarah had to wait. She uh, doesn't conceive the, this promised child, Isaac, until she's 90. Well past menopause, supernatural, didn't make sense, but we're to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him, let him control it, and he will direct our paths. There's a good verse that I want to put up for you today about faith and patience. It's your memory verse for the week, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. Let's put that up on the screen because it talks about faith and patience. We do not want you to become lazy. Other translations say sluggish, dull. And here the writer of the Hebrews says, we don't want you to become lazy. Because sometimes we can believe God for a little while. And then after that, we go, oh, you know what? You slack off. We become spiritually lazy. But imitate those who through, look at the twins, faith and patience. They go together. Faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Sarah had faith for a while, but she got tired, and she says, I'll just take control, thanks God. I'll take control, and I'll fix it myself. You know, it's like somebody who's, oh, God, I'm believing for a husband. I want to get married. God, it's been five years. My clock is ticking. I'm just going to go to the bar and find one myself. You have got a mess waiting for you, and most, most likely. Or you can give other illustrations. Well, God, I've been, I'm just going to go fix it myself. Sarah says, I've been waiting. I'm just going to take it in my own hands. That's when the problems came in. So we don't want to get ahead. We want to just trust God. The Bible says, consider all joy when you encounter various trials, that the testing of your faith would produce patience. Patience is actually a weapon. It's a spiritual weapon by faith and patience. Sometimes, folks, we've done everything we know to do. We have read the Bible. We have memorized the verse. We have fasted. We have gone to our life group and asked them for prayer. We have submitted 82 staying connected prayer cards. We have put it in, baby. We have gone to the front. We have prayed. And still it seems like, God, where are you? What am I supposed to do? The Bible says, having done all, stand. And it's not standing like this. Okay, God, any time. It's not like that, and it's not like this. It's a military stance, feet shoulder-width apart, and saying, I will not be moved. Remember the song we used to sing? I will not be, I will not be moved. No. I only saw like two heads even recognize that. It was a good song. We could revive it. I will not be moved. Just like a tree. Planted by the if I could sing, I'd sing it for you, but I it's better if you stay and hear the rest of the message. I will not be moved. I will not be moved. Because 
Patience is actually a military term. In the scriptures, the word, the Greek word, they went and said, what does this really mean in the Greek? In the day, how did they use the term? And they came upon a very interesting place where the word was used. It was used to honor a Roman soldier who was publicly awarded this word patience. They found the word. It was called a patient soldier award. He comes back from fighting for the Roman army. He was in Britain, came back, and he's honored in Rome in front of all these people, called up to the platform, and they give him the patient soldier award. Pretty cool. You got the patient soldier award. And the reason he got that, because they awarded people this prestigious medal if you would stand in battle and you would not be moved. Every blow that came at you, you put another blow back. The person on your left, the person on your right, they knew they could depend upon you. You were there on time. You were in your place and you wouldn't fail. You were there. You were there. You were there. That's patience. I will stand. I will wait. I will not be moved. I won't take control. I'll let God be in control. And I know that his promises are true. I just have to wait on him. Trust in the Lord. Patience is powerful. Cast all your cares upon him because he what? Cares for you. Well, you know, the disciples one day, they're on the boat. They're going to the other side of the water. Jesus had said to them, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. See a Galilee, six miles wide. Got a rollways, sail a ways to get there. They're on the boat. Point is, if Jesus says you're going to the other side, how many know you're going to the other side? If Jesus is in your boat and he's promised you you're going to the other side, you'll go. Now, that doesn't mean you might not have storms because you will have some storms in your life, but he'll be there with you. They go across, waves come up, storms blowing, the boat's filling with water, Jesus is asleep. Only time we find Jesus sleeping in the Gospels. They go down and they wake him up. They say, don't you care. Master, don't you care? We're perishing. He comes up. He rebukes the wind and speaks to the sea. Two things. Rebukes the wind, speaks to the sea. Peace be still. It's calm. Then he turns and says to them, why is it you have no faith? Mark 4 is all about faith. He's teaching them about faith. Why have you no faith? What did he do? What did he expect them to do? He spoke to the wind. See, here's the deal. If we care, if we take the cares and control, God rests. God won't, say, override your volition and step in and say, okay, you've taken control. I'm going to step in and take it back from you. No, we have to release that to him. When we release control to him, then he cares and we get to rest. We can enter into the rest of the Lord. It's very important for us. Even just taking a Sabbath is a step of faith for some of us, myself included, just to step back and rest. It's a commandment, actually, to rest in the Lord. Ooh, we didn't share that in the other services. This is hitting a nerve for somebody. When you take your Sabbath, your Sunday, and don't work that day, it's a statement of faith that, God, you're in control. I don't have to work today. See, when we rest in him, he's caring. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. When they put that into the Lord's hand, then there was peace. Then there was calm in the storm. 
He expects us to do our part, to speak to the storm, because he expected them to do it. There's a good book on rest, uh, The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath. And uh, I encourage you to pick that up or read it. It's a great book on rest. Part of letting God have control is giving God that day of the week and saying, God, you're doing it today. I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here in church and you're doing it. But I encourage you the rest of the day, just give God control. We're running out of time. But the message is simply this. If we're going to let God have control of our lives, then we can't step in and say, God, I'm going to help you with your promises. I'm going to do it for you like Sarah did. I'm going to cast my cares upon you. Know that you care for me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. He's a very good father. He's a very good daddy. He knows what's ahead of you. You can trust your life into his care. Thank you so much for listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. We hope that today's message has inspired you to living a life fully devoted to following Christ. Be sure to check out our website for other ways to watch, listen, or share this message. For more information, go to coastalchurch.org.